Jews remember not only the end results of disasters, but also bewail the episodes that led to those terrible events. And the point, of course, is not only mourning, but also learning, focusing not only on the end result of the destruction, but what led to it, and to apply those lessons in our time. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 168, Begin Asarabetevet, and the Lessons of History. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In his biography of Menachem Begin, Avi Shilon describes the meeting of the cabinet in which Begin attempted to convince the other members of his government why it was necessary to order an attack on the Iraqi nuclear reactor at Osirak. This was not an easy task. The cabinet members were certainly not unanimous. Begin had to make the case why the usual notion of mutually assured destruction, often applied to the United States and the Soviet Union, was not relevant to Israel's enemies. Shilon writes about the vote, which was somewhat close, 10 to 6. And he reveals that ultimately, there was more motivating Menachem Begin than strategy alone. Quote, In the ensuing vote, ten ministers voted in favor and six against, and the resolution was passed. The chief of staff therefore gave the Israeli Air Force the go-ahead to prepare for the operation which was to take place in January 1981. After the meeting, Begin was excited. On his way to work that day, he had justified his proposal before the cabinet secretary and the military chiefs with an argument that he had not raised during the cabinet meeting. This morning... When I saw Jewish children playing outside, I decided, no, never again, end quote. There is no question that the Holocaust haunted Menachem Begin more than any other Israeli prime minister. And if there was anyone who had internalized the suffering throughout Jewish history, it was Begin. Stuart Eisenstadt, who worked in the Carter White House, gave voice to how modern American Jews might have seen the new Israeli prime minister by reflecting that, quote, Begin had the familiar look of the Eastern European Jews of my grandparents' generation. He was almost completely bald, wore thick glasses, and had a protruding jaw and a face with a sad look that to my eyes made it appear he was carrying the traumas of the Jewish people in Europe through the ages, End quote. All this was linked, of course, to the murder of Begin's own family in the Holocaust. But it also was what made Begin's life and leadership so profoundly Judaic. For as we have seen, remembering the traumas of the Jewish people throughout the ages is central to Jewish mourning and memory. We have discussed how this can be discerned in the rituals of Tisha B'Av, the day on which both temples were destroyed. But it is striking and important to note that Jews mourn not only the actual days when Jerusalem and the temple were burned by our enemies, but also significant moments leading up to it. And it is when we reflect on this that we can better understand how Judaism might teach us to study history itself. In chapter 24, after several more chapters about the Jews of Jerusalem, Ezekiel is informed by the Almighty and asked to communicate to his fellow Jews in Babylon that in the land of Israel, the Babylonian siege of the capital had begun. Verse 1, Again in the ninth year and the tenth month and the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, write thee the name of the day, even of this same day. The king of Babylon set himself against Jerusalem this same day. The tenth day of the tenth month. This is what is known in Jewish tradition as Asarah B'tevet, the tenth day of the month of Tevet. And it is a fast day now, as it has been for thousands of years. We mark for remembrance not only the day the temple was burned, but even the one on which the Babylonians began besieging Jerusalem, because this was one of the events that ultimately led to the destruction of the Mikdash of the temple. In modern Israel, this Hebrew date was also adopted by many as a day for saying Kaddish, by those whose parents were murdered in the Holocaust, and the date of death was not known. 
And there is in our text a link between this day and mourning for one's family. Our chapter informs us that the 10th of Tevet was not only the date on which the Babylonian siege began, it was also the day on which Ezekiel's wife passed away. The Bible makes clear that the prophet loved his wife very much, and God obligates Ezekiel not to perform the usual acts of mourning in order to serve as a sign to Israel that soon many would experience terrible losses from the events in Jerusalem, and that they would be too terrified by the assaults of the enemy to even openly mourn. Verse 18, So I spoke unto the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died, and I did in the morning as I was commanded. And the people said unto me, Wilt thou not tell us what these things are to us, that thou doest so? Then I answered them. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Speak unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will profane my sanctuary, the excellency of your strength, the desire of your eyes, and that which your soul pitieth, and your sons and your daughters, whom ye have left, shall fall by the sword, and ye shall do as I have done. Ezekiel, in other words, is telling his fellow Jews that they too will suffer terrible losses, and that due to fear, they will not openly mourn. It is a terribly painful scene, and we have sent to you in the email an image by William Blake of many mourning Ezekiel's wife as he sits there, seemingly stunned into silence, an embodiment of the Jews experiencing losses yet to come. The scene and the passage that describes it is all the more remarkable because it is essentially the only one providing insight into Ezekiel's life. Dr. Tova Genzel cites a 1941 book by Dov Kimchi about the surprise of suddenly getting a glimpse into the personal experiences of the prophet. Quote, Ezekiel, son of Buzi, the priest prophet, tells us nothing about himself. This stems from a profound awareness that his own individual concerns are infinitesimally small in relation to the mission of eternity that he has taken upon himself or which has been placed upon him by God. Throughout the narrative, we glean only small hints of who Ezekiel is. Ezekiel himself shies away from autobiography. What was his life like in exile? What were his sources of joy and pain? There is not a word. He focuses only on the matter at hand, which is the great political question of the time, the young Babylonian empire, and the most critical question of all, the future of his people within the tide of current events. That is all we know. And yet here, all of a sudden, the prophet has a wife, and she is dear to him. She is the delight of his eyes, 24-16. End quote. And Kimchi, quoted by Dr. Genzel, adds that while the larger theme of Ezekiel's prophecy in our chapter is about the nation, not himself, and his loss is a symbol of the many losses yet to come, quote, Nevertheless, we are touched by this hint of human emotion behind the prophetic mask, end quote. This passage in Ezekiel actually serves as the ultimate source of the laws of mourning for Jewish tradition, because from Ezekiel's description of what he was told not to do in this instance, the sages derive the rituals of mourning that those who have lost family members are actually always obligated to do. There is, therefore, perhaps a link between this day, the 10th of Tevet, the day described by Ezekiel, and Jewish mourning itself. And it was on one 10th of Tevet that Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein chose to speak to his students about the Holocaust and how we are called by the 10th of Tevet to ponder how history has marked our people. Rabbi Lichtenstein noted, that if this fast is not in the forefront of our consciousness, it is because it commemorates not the day of destruction, but rather one of the earlier causes of the destruction, the beginning of the Babylonian assault on Jerusalem. Why do we focus on this at all? Why is it not sufficient to fast and to weep on the ninth of Av? Rabbi Lichtenstein answered, quote, 
The message of this commemoration is that after the destruction, we must trace its sources and mark its stages. We must look backwards to events that are not earth-shattering and perceive how the seeds of the destruction on the 9th of Av were planted on the 10th of Tevet. The more we study history, the more we learn that we should not concentrate only on the final act, the cataclysmic event itself, but also on all the stages that led up to it, end quote. Therefore, Abelichstein added, our reaction to the Holocaust must be not only to remember what occurred, but also to study what led to it, the roots of it, and to learn the lessons of history from it. And when I read Rabbi Lichtenstein's words, I was reminded of something that the theologian Michael Wischergrad once said to me. As a child in Berlin, he had witnessed Kristallnacht. And I asked Michael Wischergrad, having seen the evil that you saw then, this earth-shattering event, could you have imagined at that moment the horror that was yet to follow? And he said, no, he still could never have imagined what was yet to come. But today, we see Kristallnacht as a sign of what was in the future. The point of Asarab Tevet is that when it comes to remembering a horror that occurred, we need to also go back and look at what led to it. This was a notion, I think, that lay at the heart of Menachem Begin's life. And, as Shilon's biography notes, it was the events leading up to the Holocaust that was at the heart of his decision to order the attack. Had someone else been in charge in Israel, it is very likely that the Osirak attack would not have been ordered. It's easy to forget how unexpected it was, both in Israel and elsewhere, how outraged much of the world was. The international media largely denounced the strike as state-sponsored terror, and even world leaders who were generally sympathetic to Israel came down in an utterly unfair way. Margaret Thatcher spoke of a, quote, grave breach to international law, and the Reagan administration supported an anti-Israel resolution at the UN. The surprise and the international outrage allows us to understand that the operation itself was, as I've argued in commentary, a testament to the unique worldview of one man. Menachem Begin was a modern Zionist, but unlike Israel's other founders, he always felt the personal presence of those murdered in the Holocaust, and especially of his father and mother. Again and again, Begin made clear, in the months before the attack, that the fate of his family was very much on his mind. Thus, other articles about Begin report that in May of 1981, not long before the Osirak strike, in a meeting with American Jews, Begin was asked what he thought the lesson of the Holocaust was. He replied, quote, First, if an enemy of our people says he seeks to destroy us, believe him. Don't doubt him for a moment. Don't make light of it. Do all in your power to deny him the means of carrying out his satanic intent. Second, when a Jew anywhere is threatened or under attack, do all in your power to come to his aid. Never pause to wonder what the world will think or say. The world will never pity slaughtered Jews. The world may not necessarily like the fighting Jew, but the world will have to take account of him. End quote. These American Jews, of course, had no idea what Begin was planning when he said these words to them. Begin was indeed the fighting Jew in the world, certainly did not always like him. But in his memory and his application of what he remembered, Begin showed himself to be profoundly Judaic in his leadership. No other nation mourns moments like the Jews, and certainly no one mourns dates the way the 10th of Tevet is mourned. Jews remember not only the end results of disasters, but also bewail the episodes that led to those terrible events. And the point, of course, is not only mourning, but also learning focusing not only on the end result of the destruction, but what led to it, and to apply those lessons in our time. Israel once had a prime minister who was also its mourner-in-chief, and that mourning, remembrance, and learning of the lessons of history helped lead him to one of the most important 
achievements of his leadership and his life. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.